Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, hey, I have been really, really excited for today's episode. We are almost at the end of our series about building a framework for sales management and moving from playing defense to playing offense with our sales team. And today's episode is going to be a really, really good one. So if you've been listening in real time, you know that we are in part six of this series. And very quickly, I want to do just a recap of where we've been so far and then talk about how we're going to end this series next week. Now, so far, what we've covered in part one is how to set sales goals and build compensation plans for your team. As we're trying to get started moving from defense to offense with sales, we need to figure out What are the goals that we're actually trying to get to and how are we going to pay our people to take us there? Now, in part two, we talked about utilizing a documented sales process. We walked through the seven-step process that I teach and we talked about the necessity of documenting it, teaching it, practicing it, and coaching to it. Now, in part three, we discussed operating from a sales dashboard and how this is really the foundation of everything. If your team is not operating from a sales dashboard as something that they live and breathe in with their sales, there's no way they're going to be able to keep track of everything and serve more customers effectively. After that, in part four, we discussed coaching the right behaviors. And in particular, there's four behaviors that we really, really need to set as a standard for our teams and then coach to it. And those four behaviors were sitting down with customers to understand their problem, writing up estimates on the spot, regular follow-up with your customers, and finally turning in a weekly progress report. That was part four of our series was coaching to those behaviors. Now, last week, we discussed how to operate off of key measurements. And for me, the key measurements that I like to look at for a sales team are backlog, estimates per week, follow-ups, and then the regular scoreboard that shows our lead and our lag measures. If those terms are unfamiliar to you, just listen to last week's episode because we dive really, really deep on it. Now today, we're going to go into the nitty gritty of how to run a regular sales meeting. I believe that this is absolutely imperative if a sales team wants to get better, and we're going to dive deep on the cadence of these meetings, the agenda, and then some other things that I've found really, really helpful. Now, To cap this series off next week, we are going to talk about having a commitment to sales practice, and this is what ties absolutely everything together, and I'm really, really excited for you to hear what we have planned for next week. But for now, let's go ahead and jump in to talk about running a regular sales meeting. As I've said, for most of the episodes this series, it'd be worth getting out a pen and paper for this one because we're going to dive really, really deep. All right, so as we get started talking about running a regular sales meeting, I first want to lay a little bit of groundwork on why this is so important and what it does for your teams. So for my first probably 10 years in the industry, maybe even 12 years in the industry, I had never been a part of a sales meeting. As a salesperson, I worked for companies where we never discussed performance We never had a formal meeting about where we were trying to go, 
how we were doing. We never talked about the tactics of sales or anything like that. It was just simply go out and sell more. Now, don't get me wrong. There were times where we would invite reps in and the reps would give us training. And occasionally the team would all sit together at the same time while the rep did give us training. We'd talk about their products and things. But that's not a sales meeting. That's training. And training's really, really good. That should happen you know, on a consistent basis with your sales reps or trainers or consultants, whoever it is that you bring in. But that's not the same thing as a regular sales meeting. For me, once I started to get into the rhythm with my sales teams of having regular meetings, it was amazing how our performance started to change. And it was because we would rally together on a consistent basis around a common scoreboard and a common set of goals. And just the nature of doing that repeatedly made us perform better. Now, this isn't a magic bullet that if you have really bad salespeople, all of a sudden they're going to become really good salespeople with a regular meeting. But what will happen is that a regular meeting will start to show you who your players are that really want to get better and who are content just to mail it in every week. So I believe that many salespeople have average or mediocre performance because they truly don't know what's expected of them and they don't have a way to get better. But a meeting starts to change this. When you start to have a regular sales meeting with your team, you're putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is important. Where we're trying to go is important. And it's important enough that we're going to carve out time to talk about it. Now, I have been in some horrifically bad sales meetings that have no plan, don't go anywhere, stretch on way too long. And and those meetings are bad. But I will say that Even a bad sales meeting is better than no sales meeting. And I say that with gritted teeth because I despise bad meetings. But even a bad meeting can inspire performance to some degree. And it's kind of like those statistics that show that even a negative degrading boss inspires better performance than an absentee boss. It's kind of the same thing when it comes to a sales meeting. But the good news is we're not going to have a bad sales meeting. We're going to have good sales meetings because of what we're going to talk about today. But I want to just tell you that this is really, really important. This is where you move from playing defense to playing offense with your sales because this is your time to inspire your people, come around your goals, and it's essentially the huddle before going out onto the field the next week. So I've had companies tell me they don't have time for this. You know, where am I going to find 60 to 90 minutes a week for a meeting? I mean, my whole thing is like, if you don't have time for this meeting, well, good luck with your sales process because I, I, I don't know what to tell you. You just got to make time for it and it's worth sacrificing other things to make this happen. So with that said, I want to jump into a few different pieces of running a regular sales meeting. The first thing is frequency. So my advice would be to have a weekly sales meeting and what I love to do is to make these meetings at the beginning of the week, either a Monday or a Tuesday, the first day of the week that everybody on the sales team can be there. Now, I would also suggest starting early. So if your showroom opens at nine or at 10, I'd have your team come in an hour early. So it means they're coming in at you know seven or 7.30 and you're probably gonna need to buy coffee and donuts every single week. You need to make it worth the team's while. They need to be excited at least to some degree to be there. But one day a week, the team can come in early. When we make time for it at the beginning of the week, we can use the momentum of the meeting to shape our behavior and our performance for the rest of the week. Whereas when we have sales meetings on a Thursday or on a Friday, 
oftentimes we're feeling the drag of the week's already kind of gone by. We've already gotten chewed up and spit out and the weekend's just one day away. It doesn't tend to inspire performance. So I love these meetings to be early in the week. And I would truly set a target of 60 to 90 minutes. Maybe at the beginning you start with 60 minutes, but I think you'll find as we go through the agenda for these meetings, it's pretty easy to jump to 90 minutes and still have it be a very, very effective meeting. So that's what I like for Cadence. I like these meetings to happen weekly. And I like to have them happen early in the week. Now, the next thing when it comes to a sales meeting that you have to come prepared with is a scoreboard. And we talked last week about operating off of some key measurements. We talked about lead versus lag measurements. We discussed follow-ups and estimates per week as leading indicators that lead to backlog, which then leads to invoice sales. Whatever your scoreboard is, that has to be prepared for every meeting. If you don't have a scoreboard, there is not a common ground to talk about what our performance is. So you want to build the rhythm of measuring these behaviors every single week and coming prepared to your sales meeting with that scoreboard. This is why being a leader is so difficult is that you got to show up prepared to these meetings and there's just not really another way around it. Now, maybe you can enlist some people on your support staff to help you depending on how big your company is. But if not, it means that you've got to put this scoreboard together. But for your sales meeting to be effective, your team's got to have something to rally around. One of the things that I really, really like to do in sales meetings is I stick with the same agenda for every single meeting. And in a perfect world, I include the agenda in the calendar invite so that everybody going to the meeting knows exactly what we'll be covering. And on the agenda, I try to put time allotments for each different part of the meeting. So as we go through the agenda in just one second, I'll tell you how much time I like to spend on each part of it. But honestly, I would include this in your calendar invite so that your entire team knows This meeting is starting somewhere and it's going somewhere with this dedicated time for each section. In addition to that, I like to make sure that the weekly scoreboard is sent out, if possible, the night before, at least a couple hours before the meeting, so that the team can glance at the scoreboard before they get there to understand generally where performance is, and then the meeting can be a discussion around that performance. Okay, so let's jump in and start talking about the agenda. Now, for me... I keep a really, really simple meeting agenda and I keep it to just four bullet points. That's it. And again, those four bullet points can pretty easily occupy 90 minutes, but it's okay at the beginning if you make it just a 60 minute meeting, you'll you'll easily be able to fill that with these four bullet points. But this is the cadence of how I like these meetings to go. Item number one is that we review the scoreboard. Number two, we discuss goals for the upcoming week and progress on our goals for the current week. Part three is training and sales practice. And then part four is we air grievances. So it's a really simple agenda. Part one, we review the scoreboard. Part two, we discuss goals for the upcoming week and progress on our current week's goals. Part three is training and live sales practice. And then part four is the airing of grievances. Now, a lot of this has been inspired by a book I read a number of years ago that I mentioned at some point earlier this season that's called The Four Disciplines of Execution. It's a phenomenal book on executing ideas and getting things done in your company. And one of the four disciplines of that book that they talk about is creating a cadence of accountability. And so this agenda was largely inspired by that is that we're creating a cadence of accountability together. 
Now, when it comes to reviewing the scoreboard, there's a few things on this, and this episode isn't specifically about putting together an effective scoreboard, but we'll go here just because it's important to talk about in this part of the meeting, is that your scoreboard should be really, really simple. It needs to be a player's scoreboard, not a coach's scoreboard. So we discussed this a little bit last week that oftentimes managers and business owners have these really complicated metrics and scoreboards that they look at to try to keep their business afloat and moving. That's great. But for your salespeople, you need to simplify it. It needs to be metrics that directly affect their pocketbook that they care about hitting. It needs to be their scoreboard, not yours. So the scoreboard needs to be simple and it needs to be something that anyone on the sales team can look at and in literally five seconds understand if they're winning, if they're losing, and who's doing what. So that's a challenge as a leader, but I'm telling you, you can do it. It's, it's not as hard as you think. It just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of intentionality. So in part one of our meeting, we review the scoreboard. And what I would recommend doing is instead of having you as the boss or as the owner reading the scoreboard to people and saying, Hey, Joe, so your sales were here last month. You did this many follow-ups. Now, Stan did this many follow-ups and his sales were here. Rather than doing that, what we want to do is have the team self-report. So as we go through each of the metrics in our scoreboard, if we use some of the metrics from last week, for instance, we would maybe start with our follow-ups. And we would just start by saying, Okay, everybody, we're going to talk now about our follow-ups for the week. I've got the scoreboard right here in front of us. Susan, can you talk to us about your follow-ups? And then let Susan talk about her follow-ups. Okay, great. Hey, thanks a ton for sharing that, Susan. Eric, can you talk to us about your follow-ups? And then let Eric talk about his follow-ups. And just go person by person, by name, call them out and say, hey, can you tell us about your follow-ups or about your sales or about the number of estimates you wrote up. Whatever's on the scoreboard, metric by metric, go team member by team member and say, hey, Joe, we're going to talk about follow-ups now. Can you tell us about your follow-ups from last week? Doing it this way and having your team self-report naturally starts to grow some accountability. Now, again, it's not a guarantee that everyone's going to buy in and be singing zippity doodah while they report, you know, their their metrics on the scoreboard, but this does create buy-in. Especially on your scoreboard, if you break the metrics down to individual performance, like as an example for follow-ups on the sales scoreboard, I would recommend that you've got a different bar graph for each team member so you can see how many follow-ups team member A did versus B versus C. Same thing with backlog. You know, you're going to have your total company backlog on that scoreboard, but I would recommend breaking it down individually so that team members know who the top dog is and who's lagging behind. That in and of itself naturally starts to create better performance. And I'm not joking that I've seen past sales teams where, where the top players, they coach the people who are at the bottom. And, and they come alongside them and they actually, they help them. So this doesn't just have to be like a, you know, like a dog eat dog world. Just because you have somebody who's at the top, it doesn't mean they're going to lord it over everybody else. But you want team members to individually give an account of their performance. That's the way that we go through the scoreboard. When it's you as the boss saying, hey, this is how we did last week. Tom did this and Joe did this and Susan did this and Amy did this. The team members start to tune it out because that becomes your scoreboard, not theirs. Now, part two of our meeting agenda is that we discuss our goals for the upcoming week 
and our progress from last week's. So one of the things that I love doing is having every team member make some kind of a goal of what they want to accomplish in the next week to move the needle on the scoreboard. So let's just say that we're meeting on a Monday and we get done reviewing the scoreboard. Well, the next part of it is I could turn to a team member, say this team member's name is Robert, and I can say, all right, Robert, that's great. So what's going to be your one thing that you're really going to focus on this week to try and move the needle on the scoreboard for our meeting next week? Well, Robert's going to make a commitment to the team of what that thing is, and we're going to document it because we're actually going to make this part of the scoreboard. And after everybody goes around to talk about what they're going to do this week, we then go around and we ask them about their progress on what they wanted to do last week. And I actually like to make this at the very bottom part of the scoreboard. I like to list people's commitments from the previous week. So it's an easy, quick reference to say, awesome, that's a great commitment for this upcoming week. Here's what you had listed for what you wanted to do last week. How did you do on that? And let the team member talk about it. But part two of our meeting is that we're discussing goals for this upcoming week and we're giving an account of our progress from last week's goal. And again, what what this has showed me is that oftentimes when you get started with this with your team, you'll find that they really struggle with prioritization. I've had team members that I've worked with and I'm like, man, they have no idea what the important things are to do. But that's okay. Like You can come alongside and you can help them. You can help them brainstorm what would be something really effective that would move the needle. And over time, I promise you that they will become better and better at prioritizing the things that matter. Now, this will also reveal who your toxic players are. When you find people who are too cool for school who won't commit to anything, or who throw out snarky answers because they don't care, this is an indicator that this is not the right person for your team. Because again, this is the time that we're coming together. Like if we're a team actually trying to get somewhere, everybody has something they can do, right? You know, even as the owner or the manager, you can you can throw your hat in the ring and say, hey, this week, this is something I'm going to do to try and help you guys move the needle on this. Like no one is above this. And that's what part two of our meeting is about. Now, I promised I would talk about timestamps, so reviewing the scoreboard as part one of our meeting, that really should only take about 10 minutes. It won't take that long. Same thing for discussing your upcoming goals. That's probably going to be 10 minutes or so. If you can budget 10 minutes for reviewing the scoreboard and 10 minutes for discussing your upcoming goals and your progress on last week's, you're 20 minutes into the meeting and you guys are going to be doing really, really good. So, Part one of the meeting is reviewing the scoreboard. Part two is discussing our goals from the upcoming week and progress on last week's goals. Part three of the meeting is our training and live sales practice. Now, this is going to be the longest chunk of the meeting. And generally, I would recommend allocating 30 to 60 minutes for this, depending on how much time you want to carve out. But you'll fly through it. I mean, 30 to 60 minutes goes so fast when you're doing live sales practice. But this is going to be the time to invest in your team. So when I talk about training, this could be when you invite a sales rep in to give some training. That's great. Make them come to your meetings on your schedule, right? They want to come visit you. 
perfect. Hey, we have a sales meeting at 7.30 on Monday mornings. What Monday is going to be best for you? We can give you 45 minutes, right? That's a great use of that rep's time. It's better than when everyone's running around in the chaos of the day. Use this time to your advantage for training. So that, that's one example of training. You could have an installer come in and do some training for your team about a situation that they're running into in the field that would be very useful for the sales team on the floor to know. That's a great use of training too. You know, as the boss or as the owner, there might be something that you want to impart to the team, whether it's training on the new phone system or the new computer system or the new display model that's on the floor, whatever it is, those all count as training. So that's 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 one thing that we can use this time block for. The other part of it is sales practice. And my encouragement, like if, if you were going to make a, a cocktail of how much training versus how much sales practice should I do? I would tell you three-part sales practice to one-part training. That's that's what I would do, right? So like if you got four weeks in a month, maybe you've got one of those weeks dedicated for training and the other three for sales practice. Maybe you say we're going to take 60 minutes every meeting for sales practice and training. If it was up to me, I'd go 15 minutes training and I'd go 45 minutes sales practice. I believe that sales practice is that powerful and that important. Now, when it comes to sales practice, the first thing I'll tell you is that your team will hate it. They will all complain about how it's awkward, about how they don't need it, about how they're better in real life. I've heard it all, and none of it's true. So, I mean, honestly, when when people practice, it's not that they're better in real life with customers, it's that they're less self-aware, truly. They are just more self-aware when they're working with their team members. Now, granted, there are bits of awkwardness that exist in sales practice that don't exist in the real world. I totally concede that, but I do not concede that you are better with your customers than you are during sales practice because during sales practice, flaws and redundancies that exist in the real world come out, but now we're aware of them because everybody's eye is on it. So you just got to fight through that. And what I've found is the best way to fight through it is for you as the leader, as the boss, to be the first one to jump in, to, to be the salesperson, let the team critique you and, and go from there. That creates an environment where no one is above it and everybody jumps in and participates. So what I would do for your sales practice is I would spend you know 30 to 45 minutes writing down a number of customer scenarios. I mean, I, I keep Word documents on my computer of like literally 25 different customer scenarios that I will print out and I'll cut up almost like a, a bunch of cards in a fishbowl and everybody pulls one out and that's their background story. Now, you know, these don't get overly complicated. They're really simple. It might be 2,500 square foot house with a masonry fireplace and you want something that's your primary heat source. Another example might be 1,500 square foot house in a remodel. The customer just visited XYZ competitor and looked at an XYZ fireplace. So I'll, I'll have it like that. That's the backstory. And you'll just go through a normal sales interaction. One of the things that I love doing too is giving everybody who's observing, who's not the either the salesperson or the customer, a clipboard. And just keep it really simple and have a section that says what went well and have the person just write down things that go well during that interaction. Have another part about what could be improved. And and there's you know some other things that I might put on there of like put a check mark every time they use a piece of insider language, put a 
check mark every time they say the word uh or they talk about themselves instead of asking about the customer's problem. I mean, you you can you can make these as complicated as you want, but I would just recommend having a standard form that you use when you go through sales practice. And what you'll find is that while it may be tempting to try to tell the person everything they did wrong, I found that by affirming the things they do well and and offering one or two, you know, suggestions for for feedback to get better is really really a good ratio that when you practice greeting a customer over and over and over again, you know, when you do that, you get better at greeting a customer. And and oftentimes when we do sales practice, I will have team members literally go outside the store, they'll have to come in as if they were a real customer. We'll go through the greeting, and I'll call timeout. All right, we're going to switch. Let me be the customer. You be the salesperson now. Time in. We do it again. And then we call timeout. We switch. We do it again. And you can practice different parts of the sale. So again, like, I mean, I'll I'll straight practice greeting for 30 minutes again and again and again and again. We'll practice understanding the customer's problem. So we'll get to the point where we'll say, okay, we're past the greeting. The greeting went really well. Now what you have to do is the customer's going to say, I came in looking for a wood stove. You have to transition them into sitting down and you have to go through understanding their problem. And we'll just practice that again and again and again. Other times we'll practice advising a solution. So, okay, we know that a gas insert is a really good fit and it looks like this brand in particular is going to be the one that they like. Okay, we're going to go right in front of the inserts and now start advising a solution, go. So practicing these real life situations repeatedly starts to make the behavior permanent. Again, practice doesn't make perfect, but practice does make permanent. And if this is a regular part of your sales meetings, what you'll find is that in the moments where your team members get punched in the face, where something catches them off guard, they will revert back to what they practice. They won't revert back to stammering and stuttering. You know, like what I, what I want is when someone, you know, punches me in the face for this behavior to be so ingrained in me, I get punched in the face and I immediately shake it off and go, well, you know, we have a lot of different wood stoves on display and not every wood stove will actually work in every situation. So if it's okay, I'd love to sit down for a minute or two and just ask a few questions about your project. So that way we can make sure to show you a wood stove. That's going to be a really good fit. How's that sound? Like, you know, I want that to be my second nature. I get hit in the face and that's the first thing I do is I spit that out. And that will happen as your team starts to practice again and again. Sales practice really reveals how good or how bad your people are. And again, like for me, I I crash and burn sometimes in sales practice. You can just make it an environment that is nurturing rather than an environment that's demeaning and and you will find that your people improve very very quickly so i know i'm going like way down the rabbit hole in sales practice we're still in part three of our meeting but this is so important i mean truly if, if i had to pick one thing to improve a sales team's performance like one thing out of out of everything it would be if they could practice one day a week if i had to pick one thing that'd be it the results will be astronomically better if you can just practice one day a week with your sales team. Okay, so that's part three of our meeting. And again, that can easily, easily, easily take 30 to 60 minutes. And then that takes us to part four of our meeting, which is the airing of grievances. So if you guys have seen that Seinfeld episode with Festivus for the rest of us, you know, where Mr. Costanza has the holiday to replace Christmas with a steel pole instead of a Christmas tree. And, you know, the, the, the main event is where the family all gathers around the Festivus table 
and they air their grievances against each other. Well, I, I, I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but truly the, the fourth part of the sales meeting is the airing of grievances. And I like to make this part of the meeting short, you know, roughly five to 10 minutes, no more than 10 minutes, but ask the team what frustrations they're having or what roadblocks are in the way that they need help removing. And I love this part of the meeting. So this is a moment in the meeting where you can gain incredible loyalty as the leader of the team. So when you go through the airing of grievances, there's a few different categories of grievances. The first one is a situation that is really frustrating that you can do something about. And when the team member says, yeah, this is something that I'm having a really hard time with. It's getting in my way. It's really, really annoying. You can listen to it and you can affirm it and you can say, gosh, that, that is so frustrating. I'm really sorry that you've been dealing with that. Let me take that. Can you give me until next week? Let me take that and see if I can get that removed for you by next week. If you can actually do that, this team will start to run through the wall for you because they're telling you things that are inhibiting them from doing their job and you are going out and you're removing those roadblocks so that they can thrive and they can perform. It's really, really powerful. Now, the next category of a grievance is something that is terrible, but you can't do anything about it. And what I've found is in those situations, you can listen, you can affirm, and you can empathize. So you can listen to it and say, gosh, yeah, that is so frustrating. I'm really sorry you're having to deal with that. There is absolutely nothing we can do about it right now, and I'm really sorry. I'll I'll let you know if that changes, but man, I, I hear that. That is frustrating. You simply affirming and empathizing with what they have going on will do so much. Oftentimes, your team just wants to be heard. By knowing that you understand and you empathize with them, most of the time, it makes the situation significantly better. Now, the final category of a grievance is there might be a grievance that is completely unfounded, right? I mean, in in the prior two categories, both grievances are founded. In one case, you can do something about it, and in one, you can't. Now, the third category is a grievance that is just just wrong, right? It, 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 It speaks more to the person who's airing the grievance than the actual problem that they're bringing up. It could be, I mean, oftentimes I found it's due to poor attitude of that person or due to laziness or due to other things and they just want to complain. And you got to be careful with this. But when that kind of a grievance is thrown out in front of the group, the way that I think about it is that if a team member is willing to share this in front of the group, well, you're allowed to address it in front of the group and graciously push it back on them. So as an example, if someone brings something up that's completely unfounded and wrong, I would push that back on that person in front of the entire team. Now, you got to be very delicate with how you do this, but the team member needs to sit in the awkwardness of realizing that they are actually the one that has the problem It's not that there's an issue that somebody else needs to solve for them. So I like the airing of grievances because I think that this is your time as a leader to show that you're in control of the pack, right? When obstacles come up that you can do something about, you take it and you deal with it. You make life better for the team. 
When something comes up that's outside of your control that nothing can be done about, you empathize, you're with the team, and you show them that you care and you understand. And then when something that is just absolutely wrong-headed and, and not relevant to the group is brought up, you can graciously, but also with a little bit of force, push that back on the team member so that they are stepping back into their lane. I like the airing of grievances, and even if it sounds counterintuitive, I like this to end the meeting because you get it out and it doesn't fester. If you don't air grievances, it festers and it smolders, and I, and I don't like that. So I like to get this stuff out. I like it regular, and we finish the meetings that way, and I can listen to all of that, and then I can wrap the meeting up and say, hey, everybody, that makes a ton of sense. I appreciate you all bringing those grievances forward. Like I said, I'm going to go to work on this, this, and this, but you guys are doing a great job. Let's go out this week, and let's serve some customers. You can wrap that meeting up and end it on just a little bit of a high as you go out, but if you can do these things week in and week out, I mean, it will change your company. It won't be easy. I'll talk about this on the back end of the episode. It will not be easy to do this. You're going to have to be relentlessly committed to it. But I'm telling you, if you do this for two, three months, week in and week out, something happens and your team will forever change. This is where the consistency is so important. The meeting's got to happen every single week. If you're not there, the meeting goes on. Somebody else leads it. Now, as you're starting out for the first time, I'm going to tell you, you probably do need to be there for the first two to three months. But as this thing goes, the meeting continues no matter what, no matter who's on vacation, no matter who's in the room, even if it's one person, two people, we still have the meeting. Because this is the mechanism we have to understand how we're performing and help the team get better. So I definitely have some thoughts to share on the back end, but I wanted to take that time to dive really deep on why it's so important to have a regular sales meeting and what a specific agenda can look like as you get started with yours. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I absolutely love getting to talk about this stuff. And the reason why, I mean, I don't know if I come across as overly intense or even maybe idealistic. But the reason why is that I have just seen this transform companies. I've seen this transform people. And if you stick with this over time, I'm telling you, you're going to have a different sales team and you're going to realize that your people are capable of way more than you thought. Now, you might also realize that some of the folks in your sales team are not the right people for this seat on the bus. They need to go to a different seat or maybe they need to go find a different bus. But this cadence of meetings will reveal that. As I mentioned, it is going to be really, really tough. You know, you'll find, I mean, honestly, for the first two to three months of doing this, there may not be a lot of fruit. You're going to be nose to the grindstone, pushing people, getting these scoreboards done, trying to get the team to care about it. And and what's going through their head is, is this just another thing? I, I don't get it. I don't see the big picture. But over time, when, when you commit and say, no, this is what we're doing, like this is it, over time, their behavior will start to change, but it will only happen when you dedicate yourself to it. In the book Good to Great by Jim Collins, he talks about a level five leader. And a level five leader is someone who has both incredible humility to care about things much bigger than themselves, more than their own personal ego. And at the same time as that incredible humility, they have a relentless iron will to push the objective forward. 
simple things need to be true. And that's the way that you need to approach these meetings. You need to be relentless. We are having these meetings. You have to show up. You have to give an account for your performance on the scoreboard. You have to practice. And at the same time as that, amazing amounts of grace and humility to come alongside and show your team how you want to help them, how you want to care for them, and how you want to grow them. The meeting is a big deal. I have kind of an ongoing debate with Grant Falco about what is the one underlying characteristic that is indicative of if a business has a chance or not. And his answer to that is that the team has to have some semblance of regular meetings because as a leader, this is your place to make change. As a, as a leader, it's no longer your performance that matters. Your individual performance is no longer the single driver of the business. It's you being able to inspire other people to perform. And that's much different. You can't just put your nose to the grindstone more and inspire other people. Like you got to make time for it. You got to get in their corner and you got to find ways to do it. And this meeting is one of your only mechanisms that you have for inspiring the performance of others. So I hope that you got a lot out of that. I think that the things we talked about with the cadence, the the timing, the agenda, I think that those are really, really important. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's fire time. And guys, next week, We are going to put a bow on this series. And after that, we'll move back into a cadence of interviews like we normally do with this podcast. But next week will be our last episode on this series of creating a framework of sales management, of moving from playing defense to playing offense with our sales. And it's going to be all about a commitment to sales practice. And you might say, well, Tim, I thought you already talked a lot about sales practice on this episode. I did, but man... We're going to talk next week about what a relentless commitment to sales practice looks like, and I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. We've never done anything quite like it before on the podcast. I think it's going to be really, really fun. So with that, your marching orders for this week are to carve out your dates for when you're going to have your sales meetings and what your agenda looks like. You're welcome to use the fourfold agenda we talked about today. Maybe you want to add something or take away something. That's great. Make it your own. But this week, set the precedence for the meeting and the agenda. Because if you don't start now, I don't know when you're going to, right? It's one of those things like, when was the best day to plant a tree? It was 20 years ago. But that day's come and gone. So the second best day is today. So let's get started doing that. Hope you guys have an amazing week. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into